What's going on, party crashers? That's right. This is your host, Jerry Jones, and the club is open on Sundays. This is just how we roll on The Uninvited. However you found us, I am so glad that you did. Do me a favor, will you? Um, make sure you click the subscribe button on wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, give us a five-star rating because four-star ratings kind of feel like the friend zone and five stars are loved. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that I just got that reversed. But hey, it's the uninvited where... You know, one thing I am good for uh, on this show is, you know, it's like a buffet of, of disappointment. Um, but that's just that's just how we do it. Happy Sunday. How was your weekend? I hope it was good. I, I got to tell you, um, I, I, I haven't done much of 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 anything since the nba season has has uh restarted uh in orlando florida i have been all in on on all of it uh you know it i mean there's so many storylines right that's like can the lakers win and will lebron you know will it be tainted if lebron wins uh you've got the clippers you know, the Los Angeles Clippers, who have been kind of the stepchild, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, they're poised, you know, to to make a run for championship. The Milwaukee Bucks, uh, you know, Giannis just looks unstoppable. I'm not sure how they can do it. Uh, I got to tell you, I was one of those people in the beginning that really thought uh, the product um, would be would be hampered by the lack of fans. Um, but that hasn't happened. In fact, I got to say that basketball in the bubble is better. It, it It's like if you are if you are one of those people who would, you know, uh, my 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 brother in law, Mike, uh, whenever they would come in over the holidays, there was always this high V classic and they used to have it up at William Jewell. I think they've they've since moved it. Um but we would just go watch high school basketball and it would be like the best teams from across the, across the state that would come in and play. Um, and you know, there's not a whole lot of pomp or circumstance. It's just guys playing ball. So imagine doing that, but it's the NBA. Uh, I mean, and you get to hear it all. Uh, I did notice today during, uh, during the, the, the Celtic, uh, trailblazers game, that they had really cranked up the fan noise uh, because the first uh, couple of, of nights uh, since the NBA has returned, you could hear just about everything. And it is the be- it's the best players in the world like playing in a closed gym. And they're going hard. And what I'm realizing is that they've always gone this hard, but with without all of the stuff, it's really stripped down. And I, I personally feel like it's a better product. I'm getting more appreciation out of it. Um, but yeah, if, if you're, if you're first of all, you know, we, we just haven't had sports in such a long time uh, that, you know, I'm going to start watching. I'm going to start watching NHL. Uh, I've been watching the MLS. Uh, my team sporting got knocked out of the MLS's back tournament. Is there a worse name? For a tournament than that, 
the MLS is back tournament. What the hell is that? I mean, that's like the worst name of a tournament that I've ever heard. But I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad that it's back. And very similar to the NBA, you just get to hear more of the interactions with players, coaches yelling out instruction. It is awesome. Um, baseball, though. Baseball. I, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. Right. And I don't understand Rob Manfred. Okay. Mom, Mom, Rob Manfred, Manfred, uh, Manfred, Manfred. It doesn't really matter. This guy's a joke. Okay. This is the same person who referred to the world series debacle with the, I don't know. Some of you already know this story, but the Houston Astros don't at me, Houston people. Um, but Houston cheated their way to a, a World Series in uh, 2017. And pretty much that entire season, they had figured out this really uh, immaculate uh, scheme of tipping pitches. So, you know, baseball, you know, it, it, it's all in the game of, of stealing signals and trying to understand what pitches are being thrown. But they had gone to another level where they, they had figured out how to tip pitches and they would bang a trash can like one bang would mean like a fastball, two bangs would mean a slider, so on and so on and so on. And so the hitters would know what pitch is coming. So when you what they call sitting on a pitch, when you're sitting on a pitch, that means you know what's coming. And it's a lot easier to hit the baseball when you know exactly what's being thrown your way. Um, and so the commissioner opted not to, basically did not punish the Houston Astros at all. Um, and he referred to the World Series trophy as a hunk of metal. So to the chagrin of baseball players and baseball aficionados, which I, I, I'll say I'm not a baseball aficionado at all, um, but I am a fan and I do respect the game. Um, he referred to it as a hunk of metal. Now, this same guy has been obviously, you know, is responsible for for getting the season up and going. In the wake of COVID, and you know there are now, and I don't know what I don't know where we are in the count, but there's at least 17 uh, people on one team who've tested positive for COVID. And the same commissioner is like, "Oh, this doesn't represent um, an existential threat uh, to the game of baseball." Uh, and then two days later, like literally two days later, Rob Manfred's like, "We may have to." We may have to suspend the season altogether if we don't get a handle on this. And he's like, we have to do a better job of of handling um, handling this. And but I'm like, dude, that's actually that's literally your job. You're the commissioner. So what do you mean we're going to have to cancel the season if we don't do a better job? It's like, dude, you're the you're the you're the reason why this is so screwed up. NBA, WNBA, uh, National Women's Soccer League, MSL all in bubbles baseball only major sport that took my understanding because even nhl is in a bubble only sport not in a bubble major league baseball and now you're starting to to see players who are saying i'm done lorenzo kane royal great now uh with the brewers uh he's one of the most uh i guess they said that he's got he's number four wins uh over replacement uh he's fourth on the list over the last since 2015 like he's that valuable uh, to wins and losses for his team. He opted out. He's like, I'm done. I can't do it. Um, 
And honestly, I don't see I don't see how I don't see how baseball can finish their season. It just doesn't make any sense the way they're they're running it. Um, so my apologies um, to to everyone who is like, wait, Jerry's doing a sports show now. Um, just so excited the sports are back and, and want them to be safe. Um, before I go into the other stuff, I, I would be remiss and in total uninvited uninvited fashion. I actually intended to start the show not by talking sports but by just um you know in just this week has been the the send-off for uh for john lewis um his funeral uh was on the 30th um eulogized by um several great leaders including um president obama um and, you know, the former presidents, Bush, Clinton. Um, but Obama's speech really stuck out to me. And I, I know it rubs, I know, I know that it rubs some conservatives the wrong way. But I think there's just a misunderstanding of, and I think in general, of, 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 of black funerals. Um, we very much see the funeral as a celebration. And... We, we call them, well, in, at least in my, my family, we call them home goings and it's celebration. And so this notion of, well, you don't politicize a funeral. Well, John Lewis spent his entire life fighting for um, freedom and justice. Um, he was forced to have his life politicized. Black folks in general, our lives are fo are forced to be political because of structural racism. So there's no such thing as not politicizing an event um, because our our lives are inherently political out of necessity. Um, so for conservatives who don't understand the black tradition, um, especially for leaders who who fought. Uh, for our race, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. I would say shut up and dribble, but I shut up and whatever it is that you do, shut up and brunch. Okay, do that, do that for us. But let us have our funerals. Okay. And speaking of, I'm got I gotta call out Bill Clinton. This is not in my notes, so things might get totally derailed here. Um. You would think it's it's episode 10 and it might be a little bit more disciplined. But just talking about um, John Lewis's funeral reminded me that, um, and we've been seeing this a lot over the past few months and, and uh, amongst Democrats, amongst Democrats, uh, Joe Biden did this thing? Did the same? Did something very similar to what President Bill Clinton did? Joe Biden did a few a thing a few months ago where he was on the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne the God. Shout out to Charlemagne the God, who um, his show, the the Breakfast Club, is. I mean, that's just, it's just a, it's amazing radio. It really is, and he's he he and his team are really brilliant. Um, but Joe Biden famously said that if if you're voting, basically if you vote for Trump, you're not black. And that clearly is so problematic, so problematic. 
Um, oh, <laughs> listen. It doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are. Oh, sorry. I, if I strayed away from the microphone, I realize I've, I've been recording this whole time. And my door has been open. So I'm just going to shut it. This is so professional, by the way. Um, you don't get to tell people who's black, Joe Biden. You don't, you don't get to do that. Barack Obama being one of your best friends does not entitle you to tell people who's black. Even though I don't understand someone voting for Trump who is African-American, you do not ever get to tell anyone who's black. And getting to the point about former President uh, Clinton, you don't walk up into, in, well, anywhere, but especially, especially a funeral where we are laying to rest um, one of our, I, it's calling John Lewis an icon is really an understatement and it, I almost, it, almost a sense of underappreciation for just who, who he is for black people and who he is, who he is for the soul of America. You do not stand up in a pulpit and start telling black people who's the right who is the right person to lead a civil rights effort and who is not? Which is what Bill Clinton essentially did um, at, at John Lewis's funeral. Um, so uh, Bill Clinton goes on this on 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 a sidebar. I would say it was a sidebar, but it was in his notes. Now, I get it. I, I'm looking at my Evernote and I don't have Bill Clinton written anywhere in here. But here but here I am. Um, but going in on, 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 on Stokely Carmichael and essentially saying that John Lewis was the right, is the right kind of person. He had the right temperament. He had the right mindset for civil rights and Stokely Carmichael was too militant. And I got to tell you, it rubbed me the wrong way. I think it has rubbed a lot of African-Americans, a lot of black folks the wrong way. And I'm, I got to be honest, man, like, why? I have to ask this question. Why do we still love Bill Clinton? I mean, that's a, I, this is not a rhetorical question. I'm seriously asking, why do we as Democrats still love Bill Clinton? And I, I'm just going to even go one further. Uh why why black folks are we still like showing love to bill clinton um and i get it you know back in 92 there was no way in the world we could have ever have imagined a black president so we settled for someone who was kind of cool too to black people he played a saxophone we had jokingly called bill clinton the first black president um, never mind, <laughs> never mind that many of the things that are being protested now through Black Lives Matter, a lot of it has to do with policies pushed for by Bill Clinton 
And some of y'all going to get mad at me. Some of y'all are going to say this is not the time. But I have to tell the truth. Bill Clinton and Joe Biden. Uh, in, in, in many respects, like when we, we talk about um, kind of the, the role of police and the whole conversation around super predators and getting more cops on the street in the 90s, um, Joe Biden was essentially Tyrion. He was the hand of the king in the Senate uh, to get more cops on the street, to, to crack down on crime. Joe Biden has to own that, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, which is why I have been shouting from the rooftops ever since I got introduced to her that Val Demings from uh, the state of Florida should be Joe Biden's nominee. Former police chief for uh, the Orlando Police Department, now state repre representative, um, state representative, member of Congress, the representative for her district in, in Florida. Uh, she was also a part of the, um, the impeachment team uh, that presented the argument in the Senate. Um, and she's just, she's, she's all upside in my opinion. She'd be the first black woman, uh, on, uh, the ticket, uh, for the democratic party. And I think she'd be awesome. You know, I don't do a whole lot of, um, endorsing or anything like that. I'm just saying if I were Joe Biden, especially considering the past and especially considering how black women are the anchor for the Democratic Party. Um, he, I, I, I do believe he needs to choose a black woman. And this is from a person who is a diehard day one Elizabeth Warren fan. And I, I'm going to I'm going to call it again. Not in the notes. This is completely off the rails. This is this is like um, this is like ramble jazz. OK. Um, I when I tell you that I'm Elizabeth Warren's biggest fan outside of the state of Massachusetts. I, I got receipts, man. I have uh, I have been on the Elizabeth Warren train since she was nominated by the president um, to to run um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which the Senate at the time um, blocked uh, because she was too quote unquote uh, she was too liberal. Um, and so I've been I've been on her on her train from day one, and I and I, I voted for her in the primary here in my state, and I was one who was calling for a contested convention at the Democratic Party with Elizabeth Warren, even after she dropped out of the race. She was still the only the only person running for president or who had run for president on either side of the aisle that was actually putting forward policy proposals. Not talking and lofty, you know, it's like, I feel like she's Bernie's brain. She is Bernie's brain. Uh, and I will, I'm, I'm going to also say, I, mad respect to, to Bernie Sanders uh, for completely changing the conversation on, on health care. Um, when Bernie started running, you know, for the 2016 election, 
people were looking at him like a crazy person for his position on on Medicare for all. Um, and and here we are now in 2020 in the wake of COVID and everyone understands. I, I think pretty much every reasonable person um, understands why every person needs health insurance and that listen and i i full disclosure i work for an insurance company i work uh to take on the what's called the social determinants of health essentially maslow's hierarchy with the idea that if people don't have food if they don't have shelter if they're not safe if they don't have financial resources to make ends meet they're not going to um they're not going to fare very well from a health perspective. And uh, and that that has always been true. That has always been true. Uh, and it's been really um, highlighted during uh, COVID-19. Um, to the point, again, rambling. This is, this is what happens when I, I'm like, I just, I, I wrote down in my notes. Here's what I wrote down. I wrote down intro. Then I wrote down. John Lewis. That's that's the dangerous part because it could go anywhere. But like so, but what I'm talking about, like when we talk about like healthcare, um, healthcare has not been a struggle since just when uh, President Obama uh, introduced uh, what would ultimately become the Affordable Care and Patient Protection Act, also known as the ACA, also known as Obamacare. Long live Obamacare. People keep trying to kill it. It will not die. Right? The struggle didn't begin there. The struggle didn't even begin um, with uh, Medicaid and Medicare. The struggle for health care goes back pre-Civil War even. Um, I, I think I've talked about this book, um, but it's a book called The Political Determinants of Health by Daniel Dawes. Daniel Dawes, last name D-A-W-E-S. The book is um, The Political Determinants of Health. You know, he talks about how this, you know, that struggle for health care um, goes back pre-Civil War um, for, for black folks, for indigenous folks. Um, here in this country, uh, the struggle for health care goes back literally to the very beginning for indigenous people, for, um, for black people. Uh, it goes back to 1619, uh, where, uh, we were just given the absolute bare minimum to, to survive and produce and post um, post-slavery, post-reconstruction, all the way through to the ACA, um, you're talking about a struggle uh, of at least a couple hundred years trying to get health care. So it's not lost on me at all when they call Obamacare. Again, we've talked about this in a previous pod. But John Lewis, um, John Lewis, in his, um, just in his spirit, uh, in his wisdom, uh, penned a letter um, to America. Um, and 
it's just, I, 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 I want to, I, I, I hope that one day I could say that I'm the kind of person, um, who, who could live this way. I just wanted to, um, just to read a little bit, um, about in, in uh, not about his letter, but something from his letter. Um, he says, when you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Democracy is not a state. It is an act and each generation must do its part to help what we called, to help build what we call the beloved community, a nation and world society at peace with itself. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Um, that's John Lewis, folks. And he is right. You know, where you can, um, you've got to find a way to get in the good trouble because it's necessary. Um, and right now, right now, um, good trouble, uh, <laughs> is already starting to, um, to ruffle a little bit of feathers. I'm good. I just got one more sports thing and I'm going to leave it. But uh, this broke today. Uh, I've been talking about the NBA, talking about life in the bubble. So one of the things that the NBA and WNBA, all the sports teams have been doing is they have been kneeling together, both teams locked arm in arm um, during the national anthem. Uh, and the players are, are wearing various statements in replacement of their names. Um, they're wearing statements like um, Black Lives Matter, Say Her Name, I Am a Man, Education Reform, etc., etc., etc. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are led by um, Chris Paul, uh, NBA great point guard, future Hall of Famer, and he is the NBA president for the Players Association. So Chris has been instrumental in, shout out to Chris Paul. What a leader. He hasn't won at all. Uh, but I, I have no doubt that before his career is over, he'll win a championship. Um, so he's had a lot to do with how NBA players are responding in this in this call for, for racial justice and racial equity. Um, there, there's an there's a individual in the Oklahoma State Legislature um, that's written a letter to the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise, um, essentially threatening their um, their tax status for participating in um, what they call an anti-patriotic act. Look, we've been through this. Kneeling is not unpatriotic. <laughs> to even think so is is ridiculous, and and, and you're not making a good faith argument. Um, but yeah, so Oklahoma City, um, which is a team that moved from New Orleans, um, basically the state of Oklahoma is threatening, basically saying, if you keep doing this, we're going to force you out of Oklahoma City. Um, which, um, oh, I'm sorry, this isn't the, no. I'm, this is the team that moved from Seattle. I, Jay, shout out to Jason Annis Hanslin. Uh, I know that Jay... Uh, and Geo, shout out, shout out Georgie McFarley. 
uh, would give me a fine. John Fernandez would also give me a fine if I didn't catch that. This is the team that moved from Seattle. Seattle has been pining for an NBA team and quite honestly is a much better NBA city than Oklahoma City will ever be. Okay? Don't at me, Oklahoma City folks. I love you down there. I really do. It's not an NBA town. You know it, and I know it. Enough about the NBA, okay? But it, there's kind of a tie-in here, because the NBA is only in action because leadership at the top, from the commissioner's office, all the NBA owners, the Players Association, they developed a game plan and worked together to successfully... Um, guarantee the health and safety of all the employees, players on down uh, from COVID-19. And uh, remember, these are adults playing games, playing sport. It, it sounds crazy, doesn't it, that we spend so much time and energy on adults who play games and how much we love watching adults play games. Uh, and and I, I bring all that up to say that if we can take as much time and energy protecting the safety and well-being of adults playing kids games, can't we can't we do the same thing protecting kids who play kids games? Does that does that sound crazy? I mean, does it does it sound crazy to to even to even be thinking in this way? Um, of course, right now I'm referring to a couple things, but primarily I'm referring to the um, the the camp in Georgia, where what um, two hundred and six two hundred forty four was it two hundred forty four people uh, have COVID. That's crazy, right? So here's, I, I watched an interesting news story on this. It's, it's a camp run by the, uh, by the YMCA. So not, it's not some fly-by-night organization. Um, the YMCA um, doing all sorts, you know, I mean, they're the YMCA. They're doing most everything by the book. And, I, and, and they showed the videos of all the... Um, it was 260 people have tested positive, by the way. Um, and um, like half of those, I believe like half were, were kids under 10. That's crazy, right? Um, so, but they showed how all the precautions they had taken. And I'm like, how, how did this happen? How did it happen? And then... They dropped the bombshell. The only people who were required to wear masks were the staffers. The kids did not have to wear a mask. And so they're saying that like the screaming, you know, it's kids, right? They're playing. So the singing and the screaming and the yelling and just the, they're just having fun because kids are going to do kids things. I'm just, I, I had to be honest here. I was absolutely astonished when they had listed off the litany of things that they did. But the CDC then said, yeah, they, one of the things they didn't do, they didn't require. 
<laughs> kids to wear a mask. And it's not, it's not funny. It's just, it's so predictable, right? It's like, of, of course they have to wear a mask because they're sleeping and now they can't, obviously they're not going to sleep with, you know, with, with mask on, but they're in these, these, these cabins. Like if you've ever, you know, you've done the glamping or whatever, or camping, these, these, uh, these lodges, these cabins, they don't have real ventilation and it's Georgia, man. And it's hot. So, you know, there's probably not natural air circulating. It's just, I mean, literally a hot mess. Um, I, I feel for those families. I feel for the camp because they tried. They were, there was no malicious intent. It was just really, really, really poor judgment. Not to require masks, but again, they're in a state where the governor, you know, is suing a mayor for wearing masks. So what's the YMCA, YMCA supposed to do? Um, but that's a fail. That's a fail. Um, Indiana. Indiana's back at school and they've already had to quarantine uh, a class because of, of COVID-19. I mean, I, 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 gotta, I, I gotta be honest, man. It's like, if you stick your hand in the fire and you get burned, there's one thing you will not be able to say. And that is, well, I didn't expect that to happen. Give me a break. Give me a break. You, I mean, kids are going to kid. Kids are going to do kids things. Have you, have we, like, can I, let me ask, I'm going to ask you a serious question. I'm going to ask you a serious question. Have have we met our kids? Seriously. Like we do we 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 are familiar with our own kids, right? And if you don't have kids, you are familiar with your your nieces, your nephews, your 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 friends' kids. Um you ever like just watch them or or hear them play? They're kids. It's natural. It's it's part of the experience, and uh, and I'm not saying any of this to say that that shouldn't happen. I, I kids need to be together. Kids need to be playing. They, it, it's all a part of their development. And there's been some some really interesting um, you know Facebook conversation on on, on a couple different posts, but um, you know one of the posts that I saw was basically like, hey, you do know that your kids are are going to trade masks because, you know, your kid's friend thinks that his mask is cool and he thinks her mask is cool and they're going to swap or they're going to lose it, lose their mask. They are, it's going to be, all, you know, dirty AF. It's just, it's like kids being kids. And we think that just by opening the schools up, and putting up plexiglass this and making teachers, turning teachers into janitors and school nurses and uh, public health officials. 
while at the same time doing their job. Do do we really think any and all of that is going to change child behavior? Of course not. Of course not. And so I'm saying all this to say, I I don't know. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you the truth right now. I don't know how how we don't open schools and I don't know how we do because either sucks and I gotta say I I feel for you know as a parent whose daughter just graduated from high school I feel for uh, parents of school-aged youth of any age and you know, the New York Times uh, wrote an article. It would have been, well, what are we? We're August 2nd now? Yes, yeah, so it would have been about a month ago. New York Times did a really good piece on um, having a kid during COVID and trying to work. And with the idea that don't know if you can do both and there are all sorts of of issues at play here there are all sorts of issues at play one of the issues is going to be um the the impact on on uh women i'm very concerned about the sheer amount of emotional labor that women already carry on caring for kids um and also doing work many of whom are in charge of other folks at work um trying to do both is almost impossible and we are still our our social system is set up um that that men just aren't aren't accepting that emotional um, workload. And um, I could see this impacting women. I could see women um, changing their hours, reducing their hours, maybe quitting altogether. Um, Because how are you going to do childcare? How are we doing that? Um, I don't know how we're doing any of it. Um, I, I here yeah I am I am I am going to ask for for feedback. How are you doing this? Hit up the uninvited podcast um, Instagram. Just DM me. I'm I, I really want to know um, how you're doing um, or on Facebook Messenger. Um, just Jerry Jones on 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 Facebook. Um, you know I've been I've been clued into a couple of teachers groups for both Missouri and Kansas. Uh, lots of great conversation that's happening there from a teacher perspective. I'm interested from the parents' perspective. How are you? How are you going to do this? Um, I'm curious to know how you're going to do it if you are an essential worker. We remember the essential worker, don't we? Remember that? Remember all those commercials? You remember all that, all the commercials that we had that we saw where we were patting ourselves on the back for um, patting 
essential workers on the back. Um, whatever happened to that? Like, I would imagine, I, I, I would imagine that child care workers are essential, right? You would, you would think that. You might even think that, uh, that, that teachers would, would fall into the category. And yet, no one is talking to teachers. Teachers are, teachers are talking to each other. Um, child care workers are talking to each other. But uh, but no one no one is 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 talking to them. But and so I I just started wondering and looking into you know whatever happened whatever happened to um, the essential worker and and all I guess more more so what happened to the gratitude for for the essential worker and so I just started to check it out and I stumbled upon this handy little document here. It is. It comes out of um, the Department of Homeland Security, and it was a memo to to basically define by, you know, by you know, the government's perspective, what's the critical infrastructure? Who are the who are the the essential workers? And you know, on its face, yeah, you know, it, they've they've got a lot of bases covered. It's Telecommunications, it's medical and healthcare, it's IT, defense systems. I mean, again, bear in mind this is this is health and you, or um, excuse me, homeland security that's doing this. But like food and ag, uh, transportation, energy, water, law enforcement, public works. And so the idea was that oh, there's actual now each state has their own list, but the federal government basically created this document to say these are the essential workers these are of all the workers that are essential to making sure this country doesn't fall apart these are essential so they jump right off healthcare and public health that is spot on right um pre-hospital workers er workers home care workers obviously nurses doctors so on and so forth um those that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that that really stuck out to me as I'm going through this, it's a 20 page document, and I had to read through it a couple times because I thought I'd missed it. But I'm going through here, and I realize, like, holy crap! Education is not on here. Education is not highlighted as essential infrastructure meaning that from the u.s government's perspective educators not truly essential the reason why i say not truly essential is in this 20-page document they do get to talking about educators um, teachers show up on page 16. Page 16 on a document talking about essential workers. You have to go 16 pages before you get to teachers. Now, in the section called 
other community or government-based operations and essential functions. You have to go to line 14 of this basically other. This would be, uh, this other is the, um, do you remember uh, like game shows where the person, the, the two people who didn't win, you know, they just said, we give you some nice parting gifts. And the parting gifts are always the things that they just have in the storage room in the back. Like, hey, what do you, what do you got? You got a hula hoop? Give them a hula hoop. Okay. Boomerang. Give them a boomerang. Um, rice a A year's supply of rice a That's perfect. That's how education is treated on this list. 14th. It's 14th on the list. You want to know what shows up on this list before educators? I will give you an example. Weather forecasters. Yep, that's right. Weather forecasters. Um, clergy. Not saying clergy aren't important, but clergy made the list prior to educators. Um, <laughs> even workers whose job it is to support the, the permitting and credentialing process of essential workers rated higher on the list. Custom and immigration workers were on the list before you get to educators. Here's what they had to say. Educators supporting public and private K-12 schools, colleges, and universities for purposes of facilitating distance learning or performing other essential functions. And that is the only mention of education anywhere in this 20-page document. Uh, in contrast, energy got three full pages of thoughts and recommendations. Educators got one sentence. One. I don't know about you if you know any teachers. I've heard for some teachers, teachers who, uh, first of all, shout out to teachers. Um, shout out to teachers who, um, and they're not all cut from the same cloth politically. They all have different ideas and, and, and worldviews, but shout out to all teachers. Um, I have some teachers who are, are really serious about making sure the kids are getting back into the building, come hell or high water. And I have some teachers who are like, I don't know if I can go into that environment, but I'm, I'm so worried about my kids that I, I got to go. Like all the, all, here's the thing. I'm the teachers that I'm hearing from all care about their kids, whether they are pro mask or anti mask, whether they are Republican, whether they're Democrat. The one thing that I feel very confident about is that at least the teachers that I'm hearing from really care about their kids. Um, and that's an encouraging sign. But I got to tell you, I, I feel that educate not not the educators but um from the top from the president to our governors to our state and local school boards um 
they have done as good a job of managing uh, return to school as baseball has in the return to their to their season. I look, we had five months, five months as a country to prioritize getting kids safely back to school. And the best we got is we'll just, you know, either they stay at home and miss out on the key components of, of the experience of being together or they're in the building and they will most certainly, if, you know, not certainly, that's, that is not true by the data. It's not a certainty that you'll get COVID that it, in fact, not only is it not a certainty, if, if anything, if anything were to be a certainty from a percentage wise, it would be that you will not get it. Okay. So let me clarify that. That being said, you're sending your kids into an unsafe environment. And, and what I told one of the teachers who was really, really um, pushing getting kids back into school, I asked, so how, how are you all supposed to do the active shooting drill and, and comply with um, CDC regulations? Because the idea, her idea was that, you know, the students are going to be more safe in school than they would be at home. And I get it. There is a lot of, there's validity to her pushback on me. Um, we are seeing an, uh, we are seeing a dramatic and almost frightening decrease in calls for abuse. Um, we know that those things are happening. Most of those calls, most of the referrals for those sorts of things do come from mandated reporters at school. So from an abuse standpoint, kids are absolutely safer. Um, they're going to have access to, to food. They're going to have access to their peer group relationships. I mean, the upside, the upside for being in school is off the charts. And if you're just weighing the benefits, you know, um, like, you know, kind of a cost benefit analysis, the benefits of being in school, and this is going to make some people mad far outweigh the deltas, but that delta is COVID-19 and that delta is deadly. That delta gets passed on to a caregiver, parent or caregiver. We have a lot of kids who are being raised by grandparents um, contracting COVID and spreading it could be deadly. And then what? What I'm saying is that we, we chose the path of not choosing. We chose to kick the can down the road. And now here we are where everyone's at risk. And the CDC is saying, saying look, you give us six weeks of mask wearing across the board and we can get a handle on this. Um, but we're just not, we're not willing to do that. We're selfish. We're, we're the most selfish country in the world. And speaking of sports, uh, in my head, I'm thinking, I, all right, uh, I love, I love listening to coaches. I love post-game uh, interviews. And if you ever get a chance, Google, um, Dennis green, um, coach green recipes, coach green. Uh, I may have talked about coach green before on, on a prior, um, pot. Here's, here's a dirty little secret. 
I don't listen to my podcasts. Um, because I, I don't want to get in the fetal position and cry at just how crazy and weird <laughs> and bad it was. So I just, I record and, uh, I, I, I keep it moving. But Denny Green, um, had a famous rant after uh, a football game, uh, against the, um, um, Chicago bears. And, um, essentially his, the line was, they are who we thought they were. And <laughs> we let them off the hook. And so I, I'm feeling right now that America, we are who they thought we were. We are that arrogant, selfish. We are not nearly as intelligent, myself included, as we believe that we are. Um, we don't take things seriously. We believe in magic. Americans believe in magic. Um, well, men mostly believe in magic. I do believe that women believe in work. And men believe in magic. Um, here's the thinking. The thinking behind that. The thinking behind that is um, men grow up as boys. And especially especially um, men of a certain age, I'm certainly in that group, where mom did everything. Mom cooked, she cleaned, she cleaned up after us. Um, every, I mean, everything was just done, right? Laundry, everything was just done, right? Uh, and so as a boy, you grow up just believing that things get done without having had to put any effort in it um and you know the president even talked about it he talked about coronavirus in that way that you know it'll just mad he literally said it'll just magically disappear like a cloud remember that um that's not how it works and so i do need on that in that vein i do need to caution us that um COVID isn't going to go away no matter how much we stay home, no matter how much we socially distance, no matter, no matter how many masks we, we wear, um, it's not going to go away. What we're talking about now is how we manage it. Um, anyway, I have a knack. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to figure out a way to stop ending on such a down note. But, um, cause I, I, and I don't want to end, I don't want to end on, uh, on, on a negative note. Um, I will say though, uh, I do want to send a shout out to Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley passed away, um, on August 1st and, um, he was in cocoon. He was in a whole bunch of, uh, like. I feel like just every commercial, I feel like there was a run that he had, um, in the, in the eighties and nineties, um, where he was just like on, on everything. Uh, Wilford Brimley, uh, rest in pre rest in peace, Wilford Brimley. Um, yeah. What was the, what, what, what he was in, uh, what was the movie? The movie with, uh, Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner, uh, baseball, baseball. You know, the one I'm talking about, uh, fill the dreams. Fill the dreams. Um, have any of you checked out Kevin Costner's show? 
uh, Yellowstone. I'm thinking about um, binging, binging that because uh, I just finished. Um, I needed something. I needed something to take my mind off stuff. So I started watching um, uh, The Warrior Nun. Warrior Nun on Netflix. I'm telling you right now, that show is bomb. And for those of you who are looking for like a different kind of flavor for a show, international show, Money Heist. Money Heist on Netflix is a great binge-worthy show. Um, Heidi, my wife Heidi, just finished watching um, Queen of the South. Um, she got four seasons in, uh, I think in the last two or three weeks or so. Um, but yeah, so hit me up. Hit me up uh, shows. I need shows because Warrior Nun is over. Uh, I need I need something. Um, listen, it's been fun hanging out with you all today. Um, I promise that these things are going to get better. I don't know if, if <laughs> I don't know how I did today, but I am grateful that you're that you uh, hung in uh, with me. I'm going to be back on on Wednesday, um, and I've started a new thing. By the way, I don't know if I talked about did I talk about this already? A blog. I started a blog. Uh, again, you can find it on Medium. I'm at Jerry Jones Jr. nine one three nine one three. Shout out to the dot. That's nine one three is the area code uh, for Wyandotte County, Kansas. Um, so I'm I'm blogging now. I'm probably going to blog two or three times a week. Got this thing going a couple times a week. Um, and we're just going to keep. We just got to keep the dialogue going. Um, oh, I. I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, that we are now. Uh, let's see, what are we? We are 142 days um, since Brianna Taylor was murdered in her home, and um, while the people who shot her are living their best life on Florida vacations, none of them have been arrested. So I'm just going to end the show by saying her name. Brianna Taylor, and uh, let's get justice for her, shall we? Can we do that? Can we get justice for Brianna? Let's make that happen. This is Uninvited. Thank you again for, for spending uh, this time with me, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.